This is Latin Pulse, a weekly analysis of news and public affairs in Latin America. Brought to you in cooperation with American University's School of Communication in Washington, D.C. and Link TV. And now here's host, Rick Rockwell. Bienvenidos and welcome to Latin Pulse. This week we focus on music and social movements in Cuba, Brazil, and Colombia. But before we get to our cultural special, we have our roundup of news from across Latin America, from trade to more repression of free speech in the drug war. Vanessa Jesus Gonzalez is here with this week's news review. Experts say Latin American economic integration is necessary, but that there is still little trade unity within the region. Eduardo Levi Yayati, professor of economics in Argentina, was one of the speakers at an event about perspectives for Latin America that the Brookings Institution held in Washington, D.C. He says that trading with China more than within the region is one of the negative factors for integration. Everybody is exporting primarily non-specialized, non-elaborated products to China. You don't need to integrate with each other. And what you see in Asia is essentially intra-industry trade, which... The, the industry is moving towards uh, countries that are less developed and, uh, and cheaper, but uh, by doing that, it's generating an, a, an internal regional trade that to some extent supports activity within the region. The Brookings Institution just released its annual Latin American Economic Perspectives Report. A group of unidentified gunmen attacked the Mexican newspaper El Siglo de Torreón. They set a car on fire and shot at the building several times. The Daily's office is located in the city of Torreón, in the north of Mexico. Before leaving the scene, the gunmen used assault rifles to spray the grounds with about 20 bullets. Editor Javier Garza says the newspaper published information about military actions in the area, but had not received any threats. He also says that reporters practice self-censorship when covering organized crime by not identifying groups, removing bylines, and rotating the beat. Four people have been killed since September in the border city of Nuevo Laredo, in Mexico, for denouncing drug cartels on social media. Officials found a man's decapitated body last week at one of the city's monuments with a message explaining that he had been killed for reporting on the Internet. The prior three had notes signed with a letter Z, which will refer to the Zeta Cartel that dominates the region. Local newspapers fear reporting the crime beat due to possible consequences, but bloggers and Internet users are now targets. Raul Castro's daughter gets into a confrontation via Twitter with a well-known dissident of the regime. Mariela Castro joined Twitter last week and within hours was challenged by Cuban blogger Joanny Sanchez, who welcomed her to what she called Twitter pluralism. Sanchez, an internet activist, said that Castro's advocacy for gay rights did not extend to other areas of freedom in Cuba. Castro responded by telling Sanchez that she needs to study and calling her and other dissidents who wrote to her contemptible parasites. Sanchez has been very vocally opposed to the Cuban regime over the Internet, in a country in which only 3% of the population has access to the web. Venezuelan police rescued Washington Nationals baseball player Wilson Ramos. Two days after being kidnapped, Venezuelan police and the National Guard found him in a hideaway in the mountains of the countryside and freed him after exchanging gunfire. 
officials have arrested at least five men suspected of the abduction. Police believe Colombian and Venezuelan groups worked together. This is Vanessa Jesus Gonzari reporting for Latin Pulse. Thanks, Vanessa. And now we begin our special focus this week on music and social movements in Latin America. Our first expert is Katrin Hansing, an anthropologist at City University of New York, who's writing a book about youth movements and music in Cuba. Here are some excerpts from our pre-recorded interview. There is a huge generation of, of, of young Cubans who were born after what is called the special period, which is the time that is referred to in Cuba as um, everything that came after the fall of the Soviet Union um, and alludes to predominantly a major economic crisis. It's a generation that because of the crisis they've been born into tend to be um, much more materialistic than um, their parents and, and, and grandparents. Um, it's a generation that is very much geared towards wanting to consume um, on all levels. Um, partly, I think, because, um, again, they have been growing up in a country of shortages and, you know, and for actually quite a, a long time, particularly in the early 90s, of a you know, lack of basics such as food and medicine and clothing, etc., so um, they now have this immense want, need, desire to consume particularly um, material goods. Uh, and so that's become a huge priority, um, much more so than, than some of the, the, the principles um, you know, one associates with the revolution, such as education, um, you know, health care, social justice, etc., etc., these kids tend to not be interested so much in those issues. Um, and actually, t- to the point where even education has become something that, that a lot of kids are um, not interested in pursuing anymore um, after 10th um, grade when they actually don't need to continue school and because they don't see the rewards. They see their parents who were educated and turn into doctors, engineers, and you name it not be able to actually make a decent living from, from those professions and actually be able to earn more as a waiter or a cab driver in the uh, dollarized tourist economy. Uh, a lot of kids um, are actually getting involved in what I would call uh, social or, or youth movements um, that are often connected to a musical genre that is often also imported from outside, particularly the U.S., but not only. Um, and they take on that music and the body culture and the way of life that comes with it, right? And, and Could there are a number. Just, I, I, I don't know if body culture is an anthropologist type of term, but sure. can you tell us a little sure. bit about how you see that in Cuba? Right. So, you know, often... Um, Youth movements take on a particular look, um, whether it's how they do their hair or what kind of clothes they wear, or even sometimes it includes makeup. But 
it it's has um, a, a particular style that is associated with it. Um, and a lot of kids all over the world, but also in Cuba, have chosen to adopt a certain type of look that is associated with often a musical genre and a way of life that kind of is associated with it. And let me give you an example. Some of the more popular youth movements in Cuba over time and, and still today are um, the rock movement in Cuban Spanish. Uh, it's referred to as Los Roqueros. <laughs> Now, probably the most, um, in terms of just purely numerically popular movement, uh, is the hip-hop or rap movement. And those would be raperos? Raperos, exactly. But you also have a, a, a fairly large and growing Rastafari movement. Um, and there, obviously, you know, these young people are adopting... Um, dreadlocks, um, dressing if they can, get a access to clothes or other paraphernalia that has kind of some Afrocentric uh, style to it, um, and identifying through these symbols, whether it's hair or clothing or other bodily features with, in this particular case, Africa or the African diaspora or their blackness, etc., etc. Africa, unite! Do you have some groups that you would recommend that we, uh, that we listen to or might include? The most interesting one at the moment is called Los Aldeanos. Los Aldeanos. Yo, yo, el mundo gira. But they're the most popular, uh, critical, and edgy underground um, rap group now. They're a duo, Los Aldeanos. Um, and they're still in Cuba. They're still in Cuba, and they're actually, there's a, a fantastic documentary about them that was made, and you can actually see on YouTube, which I highly recommend. Uh, these kids are very, they're two young men, very vocal, very, they have guts, and they're extremely popular amongst a, a very broad section of Cuban society. Even and, and they find a way around the state. Yes, yeah, so they've been banned here and there to play, uh, and again, their music is circulating, you know, on um, flash drives and, and, and MP3 players and, and, and CDs that are burnt and then passed on or sold on the streets. And this is this is how people hear this stuff. I mean, it's not played on Cuban radio stations. Um, is, it, is it played in Miami? Because some of those Miami stations yes. you can hear in Cuba. Yes. Um, I'm not sure if it's played regularly on Miami, but I'm sure it's the Los Aldeanos has been sort of seen as a phenomenon, right? Because they are so outspoken and they really do say things as they, as 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 is, as it were. And so they've become. There's been quite a little bit of reporting about them in the press. Um, in and so the, in yes, the non-official press. Well, no, particularly in in the international press. Those 
beyond Los Aldeanos, there's another one um, which is very well known, and they are, you know, among those that you refer to as, as you know, young rappers who've left. Um, so you've probably heard of the, the Orishas um, that, you know, have very much commercialized some of the more well-known or stereotypical images of Cuba. No, si eso está buenísimo. And then there's a very interesting collective of rappers and rap groups called El Cuartel um, that you can definitely download music on from iTunes, actually. And they, um, if, if I may, uh, recommend a particular song. Um, there's a fantastic song called Tengo, um, which is based on the famous um, poem by Nicolás Guillén, by the same name. Tengo una bandera, un escudo, un tocororo. También una palmera y un mapa sin tesoro. Tengo aspiraciones sin tener lo que hace falta. Tengo más o menos la medida exacta. And so they slightly changed the, 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 the words of the poem to a more contemporary context. Um, and it's all about race. So it's, it's tengo. And, and this is tengo in, in, in the verb. To have. To have, right. But it's a play on, on sort of, you know, what people don't have, right? Particularly people who are black in Cuba. So that's a great song, and it's, 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 it's quite um, poetic and very to the point as well. And, and, and the music is also very, very good. So these kids are growing up in a time where the dominant discourse is still socialist and revolutionary and basically says, you know, we're all Cuban, we're all revolutionary, we're all the same, we're all equal. And this is what kids hear and learn every day at school. And it's sort of, you know, seen on the news and in political propaganda all over you go, or everywhere you go in Cuba. And yet daily life on the streets is fundamentally different. Um, and if you're black or if you're of African descent, or some people say if you're phenotypically not white, <laughs> um, you sense that today in Cuba. You're treated differently. Um, you uh, have access particularly in uh, the sort of bizarre labor market that is Cuba's uh, less access to well-paid jobs if you are not white, particularly in the tourist industry, which is one of the most lucrative places to work nowadays because there's a potential of making hard currency through tips. Um, so if you're not white, you have, you have less opportunities to make a decent living and so you are more likely, by default, to get involved in illegal or sort of black marketeering to survive. This is a survival, you know, modus. Um, not that, you know, white white Cubans don't get involved in the black market. Everybody does. This is a way to get what you need. Uh, Cuba has a very young population. Over 55% of Cuba's 11.9 million 
inhabitants on the island is under 35. So over over half are considered young, um, and most of those have been, you know, growing up in this crisis, which I've referred to earlier on, and are a product of that. They they didn't live sort of the golden years of the revolution. They have basically grown up in a time where there's very little food, where the healthcare system and the education and all those, you know, uh, benefits, if you want, the revolution offered have been dwindling in quality, massive corruption, you know, things don't work, uh, inequality, you know, they've grown up in this, in this society that is full of contradictions. And yet the mega message is still you know, we all want social justice, equality, and that discrepancy breeds anger and frustration, particularly also when more and more foreigners are coming to Cuba and Cuban-Americans and others who, um, you know, live very different lives and, you know, obviously as tourists or visitors um, who are there to visit and, and, and have a holiday, they um, kind of show the best of what life could be like um, elsewhere. And so all of these contradictions breed frustration, particularly among young people, and a desire to have what they don't have, whether it's the right to travel, the right to decent employment, the right to a decent salary, the right to be able to go and, you know, use the money you've earned and buy things you want. Um, and all of that is what most Cubans don't have. And so unfortunately, and this is another finding from my from my research project. Um, and this is, you know, really quite heartbreaking, to be honest. Is that there is a tendency among young Cubans, when you ask them, well, you know, you know, where would you like to be in five to ten years? Like, where do you see your life um, in five to ten years? The majority of people I've talked to, and I've talked to literally hundreds from all different backgrounds, is that they don't want to be in Cuba. There is a large, large desire to to leave um, and and for good to migrate and particularly to to the U.S. or Spain um, or or frankly anywhere. So there is this sense of um, disillusionment and 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 not a lot of hope or even um, want to invest in their own country, which. You know, I, I, as an anthropologist, this is the aspect I'm particularly interested in with regards to my research project because if we just look at the numbers, you know, we, we find that the majority of, of Cubans today, again, are under 35. So mm, that's Cuba's future. And if, if so many, and I would argue the majority of Cubans, uh, don't feel invested in this place they have been born in and grown up in, even on a on a, you know, not just a political or, or, or social level, but on a, on a sense of belonging level, um, then we have a, a real challenge, potentially, and I hope I'm wrong, but potentially a challenge of um, trying to figure out how to get these young people engaged and wanting to participate in not just the future of Cuba, but, you know, hopefully someday something that we can call it civil society. Coming up on Latin Pulse, more about social movements and music, but this time the music changes to Colombian cumbia and Baye funk from Brazil. Stay with us for more. 
Democracy is synonymous with independence. Independence is synonymous with emancipation. Emancipation is synonymous with sovereignty. Sovereignty is synonymous with superiority. Superiority is synonymous with arrogance. Arrogance is synonymous with domination. And domination is synonymous with dictatorship. Dictatorship always finds its way. Amnesty International. Learn, indignate, act. Welcome back to Latin Pulse. Our next guest is Adrian Loving, who teaches graphic design at Marymount University in Arlington, Virginia. But more important to the topic for this special program, Professor Loving is one of the top DJs in the D.C. metro area, spinning discs of music from Colombia, Brazil, and other Latin locales. Adrian Loving, welcome to Latin Pulse. Hello, how are you doing? Great, great to have you here. What can you tell us about the social and political roots of these musical forms, cumbia and baile funk? Well, a lot of these forms uh, kind of were created in lower income or lower uh, social st status areas of these countries, such as Colombia and parts of Brazil. Um, the favelas was, is where a lot of the baile funk comes from. Um, with, with the availability of technology and software and beat production tools, um, you know, it's more accessible for people to actually create their own music. That's really what it comes down to, is access to technology. Um, and so there's a lot of self-creation going on now. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, a lot of these people just don't have the money to, like, rent out these huge studios. So what they're doing is, you know, in their homes or their basements or, you know, over a friend's house, they'll get some basic beat-making tools. It's evident how the music comes through, um, especially with ballet funk. It's really raw. Um, there's a lot of expression. You know, they'll get some friends off the corner and say, hey, come on in and sing this hook. And then they'll program some beats, and then they got a track. You know? so, so let's talk about Baie Funk, because when I think about funk, mm -hmm. I think more of like the classic Parliament, Funkadelic, Bootsy Collins sort of <laughs> pushing the bass. And that's not what we're talking about when we're talking about Baie Funk. Well, Baile Funk's been around definitely for about close to 10 years now. The early, some of the earlier origins came out, um, you know, somewhere uh, in the early 2000s period. Uh, its, it, its primary influence was uh, um, Miami bass from Miami. You know, Luke and a lot of these artists that were doing early electro, uh, Planet Rock, uh, which was a very influential song by Africa Bambata. The, the 808 drum kick um, is the central key musical sound in, in, with the music. And so this music became very influential down in Brazil, in the favelas. Absolutely. I mean, every, every it seems like every sort of uh, poor uh, neighborhood or poor uh, element of anyone's country, there's this sort of like... Uh, urban anthem music that kind of comes out of it. So is this then the, the sound of frustration, the sound of revolution? How would, how, how would you characterize the sound then of what people are trying to say by producing this music? Well, I don't speak Portuguese, unfortunately, so some of the music, I, I can't really make out the lyrics to what they're saying some of but I would it's a combination of just some nasty you know 
people's nasty ideas, and then there's also uh, uh, shouting out your crew, shouting out your neighborhood. So it's kind of like a, a call and response within a, a subgroup. You know? So let, let's go further with this. So some of this is obviously the sound of release. It's mm-hmm. about sex. Some of this is, is also um, then, then music, as you're talking about calling out your group, mm-hmm. calling out your posse or whatever you want to call it. This is also the music that's asking for a demand for respect and, and recognition. Is absolutely. It yeah, it's, it's, an, it's an identifier, a signifier. Um, and it just so happens that the beats are good enough that it catches on. And then you have a subculture that develops out of it. So typically within Brazil, uh, you have this music that has caught, caught on. The music actually provides that, that base yes. of, of the beginning of that social conversation. Oh, it provides the bass, all right, the booty bass, <laughs> okay? I mean, it's, no, it's nothing like the bass, the drum, to bring people together. So it's that context where people are, like, moving and grooving and they feel comfortable, and then they're able to socialize. You know, they're able to find common ground. That's what music does. It brings people together. Well, let's talk about cumbia. Yeah, cumbia. cumbia uh, it, w- it was a type of form that of music that I started recognizing after a lot more attention was brought to um, the the new music coming out of uh, Colombia. Cumbia goes dates back. It's very it's it's early traditional music form in Colombia um, and Panama and Panama and Panama. And, you know, Colombia's always gotten a bad rap for being like a place where, you know, drugs or violence or what have you. And then, you know, you have these kids coming out with, with this new sound and they're adopting a sort of electronic sound. But it's, it seems very true to the traditional sounds that come out of uh, Colombia. And uh, there was a song um, by a group, um, it was called Fuego, which means fire by, um, yeah, Bomba Estéreo. I'm sorry. Sorry about that. We Is can that add. the name of the group, Bomba Yeah, Estereo? Yeah, there's a group called Bomba Estéreo, um, which was one of the earlier groups that I heard that was playing um, this sort of new cumbia. But uh, Bomba Estéreo is a girl... Um, and, uh, and, uh, and she has an electronic band and they play some real freaky spaced out uh, music and the tempo is like 108 it's like are we talking about the same um, social phenomenon that happens with this type of music as with the favela music people get behind it they feel some ownership to the music um, it, it, they feel as though they it kind of represents them, young people, you know, young kids, club kids, um, you know, people who are coming up. The messages are very positive, you know, and so they, they, they tend to get behind it. I mean, I think there's just some intrinsic things that happen in any uh, culture, um, and the drum usually has a lot to do with it, um, especially within uh, communities of African descent. I mean, the drum is all-powerful. All I really, uh, I think Latin music is important. I think... Uh, music of the diaspora, of the, the Afro-Latin diaspora, Afro-Brazilian diaspora, it's all really, really connected. So um, I think the, the, the best thing to do, you know, as a listener or as a consumer of the music or someone who goes out to a club to hear it, um, is to, to, you know, really be open-minded and um, 
just try to find the best that you can find and, and, and listen. That club again where people can hear you? It's called Lost Society. Um, it's a uh, it's not really a club, it's a, 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 a restaurant lounge, but they have a great um, upstairs with the outdoor deck. Sound system is great. It's a good place to like have a drink, listen to music, it, you know, socialize. Um, it's a good spot. Well, for people that managed to come into D.C., that's our recommendation. Adrian Loving, thank you for joining us on Latin Pulse. Thank you. We want to thank our guests this week on our special program on music and social movements, Adrian Loving of Marymount University and Katrin Hansing of City University of New York. Latin Pulse is available on the web and via iTunes. To see the Latin Pulse archives of video programs on Latin America, you can check out Link TV's website, www.linktv, all one word, .org, and then forward slash Latin Pulse, also all one word. That's www.linktv.org forward slash Latin Pulse. If you'd like to comment on this week's program, you may leave us a message online via SoundCloud, or you can write us via email. You can find us at latinpulse.gmx.com. That's latinpulse, all one word, dot gmx.com. And now a program advisory. Latin Pulse won't be online next week due to the holiday. Look for us again in two weeks. Until then, thank you for joining us this week on Latin Pulse. For associate producer Vanessa Jesus Gonzade and announcer Victor Kilo, I'm Rick Rockwell. Escuchenos otra vez. Gracias por su tiempo. Latin Pulse is produced in Washington, D.C. at American University School of Communication and with the support of Link TV. Theme music provided by Link TV and additional music from Canary Productions and Bath Time Music Publishing. This program is copyright 2011, Las Rocas Productions. Thank you.